بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم رحمد نسلی علیہ رسول الکریم اما بات الحمد للہ ٹوڈے از دا ٹوینٹی فرسٹ آف جنوری ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ that we're going through the commentary of the blessed Al-Nur. And I've reached verse 2 of the blessed Surah. And in the previous uh, session, I was explaining exactly what zina is in the Sharia and what constitutes proof for zina. So again, because the verses that we've been through is talking about this command i.e. of striking or striping those who commit this crime. We need to mention a few of the details. So, the first, zina if you're married and the proof is established or confession takes place, then the command is stoning to death. But if you're not married, what is the situation? So, there's a few things which are mentioned. So, if a person confesses, is that enough for him to, for the application of the hudud? So, Shaykh Maududi Rahmatullah in his Tafsir, volume 8, page 74, he mentions this at length. So, he said, quote, Some jurists, Rahimahumullah, hold that one confession is not enough. and that the guilty one must make four separate confessions. This is the view of Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Ahmad, So even if a person confesses that he's committed zina, according to two of the Imams, that is not enough. He needs to confess four separate con- uh, occasions. But according to Imam Malik, Imam Shafi'i, Rahimahumullah, One confession is enough. So there's another difference. So let's look at this. Why have the Imams differed? Why do some say four confessions? Some say just one. So let's turn to the Hanafis and Hanbalis. Why do they say four? So there's two narrations proving this. And it's the case of Ma'iz ibn Malik Aslami radiyallahu anhu. So this narration is recorded in Sayyid Muslim and many other references. Ma'iz radiyallahu, he was an orphan boy from the clan of Aslam who had been brought up by Hazal ibn Nu'im radiyallahu. He committed zina with a freed slave girl. So who was the man who committed zina? Ma'iz. And he was a young man, maybe a teenager. And he was under the guardianship of Hazal. So Hazal said to him, go to the Prophet and inform him of your sin. Maybe he will pray for your forgiveness. So Hazal said to him, look, you committed a great crime. He goes, if anybody go to the Prophet, he will say, and he maybe pray for your forgiveness. So Ma'iz who went before the Prophet in the masjid and he said, I have committed zina. Please purify me. 
Rasulullah turned his face away from him and said, Woe to you! Return and pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness. Stop in the report. So he asked the Prophet to purify, expecting him to make a dua. And the Prophet said, Go away. He goes, Ask Allah for forgiveness. But he again came before the Prophet and he said, Please purify me. The Prophet again turned his face away. The youngster then repeated, and the Prophet again turned his face away. Sayyidina Abu Bakr, he then intervened and he told the youngster, If you confess a fourth time, you will be stoned by the Prophet. The boy persisted and repeated the same request again. So stop in the report. So this proves why the Hanafis and Hanbali say four confessions. We'll continue with the report. At this, the fourth confession, the Prophet turned to him, وسلم, and he said, and I've numbered them to make it easy. Number one, you might have only kissed, embraced, or caressed her. Number two, or you might have looked at her with lust. I and you thought this was zina. The youngster said no. The Prophet asked, number three, did you lie with her in the same bed? The youngster said yes. Rasulullah then asked, number four, did you have sexual intercourse with her? The youngster said yes. Rasulullah number five, he then inquired in the most explicit Arabic expressions specifically used for this act. Such a naked expression has never been heard nor was ever heard afterwards from him. Had it not been the question of the life of an individual, the Prophet would never have said these words. He then said, وسلم, Did you commit the act in such a manner? that your male organ disappeared in her female part. The boy said, yes. Again, he was asked, number six, whether the act was as complete as a piston in a cylinder, a rope in a well. The boy again said, yes. Again, he was asked whether he really understood what zina meant. And the youngster said, yes, I have co- committed the same act with her illegitimately, which a husband commits legitimately with his wife. The Prophet then asked, وسلم, are you married? He said, yes. Again, the Prophet asked وسلم, whether he had taken any wine. He said, no. And one of the companions smelt his mouth and confirmed he had not. After this, number 10, the Prophet inquired of his neighbors whether he was suffering from insanity. They replied he had not exhibited any sign of insanity. Then there was a pause. The Prophet said to Hazal, I, the one looking after the youngster, had you kept it secret, it would have been better for you. In other words, why did you bring him to me? Then he ordered Ma'is to be stoned to death. And he was stoned to death outside of the city. 
when they began to throw stones at him, Ma'iz tried to escape and said, Oh people, take me back to the Prophet The people of my clan deluded me, assuring the Prophet would not condemn me to death. But they did not let him escape. <coughs> Afterwards, when this incident was reported to the Prophet he said, Why did you not leave him? Had you brought him back to me, he might have repented and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might have accepted his repentance. So this is the report. So in this report, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to work out, did the Prophet want to stone him? Does the Shariat make it easy to stone a person? Ten questions he asked him. As if to say, answer something positive to one of these questions. And he kept saying, no, I did it, no, I did it, no, I did it, no, I did it. Then he goes to the neighbor, he goes, does he suffer from any mental problems? He goes, no. And then he rebuked the one who told him to come. He goes, why didn't you just, you know, ask him to seek forgiveness? And after all that, he was then stoned. But when he was stoned, he thought that he wasn't going to be condemned to death. So he started to run, but they completed the story. And the Prophet said, if you had left him, it would have been better. So this is the full report. So who does this Sahih Hadith prove? Which verdict? Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Ahmad. Four confessions. The second report is of Ghamidiyah, who was a woman from the clan of Ghamid, a branch of Juhayna tribe. So there's a second incident with regards to a woman. She also confessed four times. She had committed zina and had become pregnant as a result. At her first confession, Rasulullah said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Woe to you. Go back and ask forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and repent. But she said, Ya Rasulullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Do you want me to put off like mice? I am pregnant as a result of zina. As there existed pregnancy along with confession, Rasulullah did not cross-examine her in detail as he did in the case of Ma'is. So stop in the report. So this is in Sayyid, uh, in the two glorious Sayyid. So this woman said, there's no point continuing asking me, I'm pregnant. He goes, don't do what you did to Ma'is. So he said to her, well, if you do not accept my counsel, go back and come to me after the birth of the child. After the delivery had taken place, she came with the child and she said, please purify me now. Rasulullah then said, go and suckle your child and come to me after the suckling is over. She again came after the weaning of the child and brought a piece of bread with her. She fed the child with the piece of bread before Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and said, Ya Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa now the child has been weaned and has started to, uh, taking bread. At this the Prophet entrusted sallallahu alayhi wa the child to a, to a person to bring it up and ordered the stoning of the woman. So this is the report. Shaykh Maududi rahmatullah he said, in both these narrations, four confessions have clearly been mentioned. And then he quotes another report. In Abu Dawud, Sayyidina Buraida radiyallahu, he held 
the opinion, if Ma'iz and Ghamidiyah had not confessed their guilt four times, they would not have been stoned to death. So a Sahaba explicitly said that. Because if they had not said it four times, they would not have been stoned. So this is the proof for the Hanafis and Hanbalis. The Malikis and Shafis I'm going to come to. Why do they say only one confession? I'll mention that the, uh, shortly, inshallah. So now another clarification is needed. <coughs> what about those who commit zina and they're not married? So it's very important to clarify upon this now. So again, Shaykh Maududi Rahmatullah in his Tafsir, volume 8.77 of the English translation, he clarified. According to Imam Ahmad and Imam Shafi, the punishment is flogging a hundred stripes and exile for one year, both for the man and the woman. So if they're not married, then the who do this to to strike them a hundred times and for both the man and the woman to be exiled from the place the crime was committed for one year. According to Imam Malik and Imam Awzai, the man should be flogged with a hundred stripes and exiled for one year, but the woman should only be flogged with a hundred strikes. So according to Imam Malik, he agrees. But the difference is, he says the woman is not exiled. Now what does exile mean? So Shaykh Maududi Rahmatullah says, Exile means that the guilty one should be banished from his own locality and sent to a place where one has to shorten the salah. According to Zayd ibn Ali, Jafar al-Sadiq, rahimahumullah, imprisonment also serves the purpose of exile. So according to some of the Imams, exile could mean put them in prison for a year. Right? Keep them away from the people, like away from the, the crime where they've committed. Then he mentions Imam Abu Hanifa and his students, Imam Abu Yusuf, Imam Zufar and Imam Muhammad Rahimahumullah. They are of the view that the hudud fizina in such cases is only a hundred stripes both for the man and for the woman. No mention of exile according to the Hanafis. Any additional punishment such as exile or imprisonment is not hudud, it is ta'zir, i.e. a discretionary punishment which the judge may enforce. The judge may exile or imprison them if he wishes. The difference between, between had and ta'zir is that had is a specific punishment which must be uh, provided after the guilt has been proven. But the ta'zir is an option. So the Hanafis, they say, you have to apply the hudud. The Quran mentions that. But the exile is up to the judge. If he thinks it's a severe crime, he can do it. If not, he doesn't need to. All of the above views have been based on hadith. So let's turn to the proof for the Shafis and Hanbalis. So the Shafis and Hanbalis, to reiterate, what do they say? They say that the punishment for an unmarried couple who commits zina is striking a hundred times and banishment for a year. So in Sayyid Muslim, Abu Dawood Tirmidhi ibn Majah Ahmad, Ubadi ibn As-Samit, he relates, 
that Rasulullah said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, take from me, take from me. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prescribed the method for dealing with women guilty of zina. An unmarried man committing zina with an unmarried woman gets a hundred stripes and one year's exile. But the married man committing zina with a married woman gets a hundred stripes and stoning to death. So the Prophet explains, and this is the proof for the uh, Shafis and Hanbalis. But the second part of the report, which mentions an un, uh, a married man and a married woman committing zina, they should be first striked a hundred times, then stoned. Shaykh Maududi, he says, this was near the acted upon during the time of Rasulullah, nor during the rightly guided Khalifs, nor any jurist ever gave any verdict strictly in accordance with it. So the second part, the, there seems to be a shard. Why? Because if he's going to get stoned to death, why do you whip them a hundred times? You know, he's going to be taken. So why whip him first? So Shaykh Maudud, he goes this bit, he goes, the scholars have not acted upon, barring one view. A second proof. In Sayyid Bukhari, Sayyid Muslim, Nasai Abu Dawud Ibn Majah Ahmad, Abu Huraira radiyallahu anhu, he a case was brought by two Bedouins to the Prophet One of the Bedouins said, My son, who worked as a laborer in the house of this man, got involved with his wife. I compromised with him by giving him a hundred goats and a slave woman. But I have been told by the ulama, this is against the Quran. So please decide the case between us according to the Quran. The second man said the same thing. He goes, Ya Rasulullah, we are ready for the decision. He said, I will decide according to the holy book. Take back your goats and the slave woman. Your son shall get a hundred stripes and one year's exile. So here's the proof again for the Shafis and Hanbalis. The Prophet then said to a man from the clan of Aslam, O Unis, go to the man's wife and ask, if she confesses her guilt, stone her to death. The woman confessed the guilt and she was stoned to death. So now, what did I mention? This is the proof of the Malikis and Shafis for one confession. <laughs> so not all the Imams, they've got proofs. On the face of a wife, four confessions, one confession, there's proofs. The Prophet didn't say here, make sure she confesses four times. Then the report, uh, Shaykh Maududi says, the woman confessed, she was stoned. It should be noted in this report, there is no mention of flogging the married woman before stoning her to death. Whereas the unmarried man guilty of zina with a married woman was punished with flogging and exiled. So note he goes, this proves there's no flogging. That seems to be an error on the part of a narrator in the previous report. Besides these accounts of Ma'iz and Ghamidiyah, which have been cited, it is not mentioned anywhere that Rasulullah ordered flogging of the guilty before storing him or her to death. There is no hadith in any of the collections to the effect that Rasulullah combined flogging with stoning to death. In his well-known address in Sayyid Bukhari, Sayyid Muslim, Nasai Tirmidhi, 
Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu emphatically said, the punishment for zina after marriage is stoning to death. So Amir al-Mu'mineen, in a flawless report, he said, the married person is to be stoned. He didn't mention flogging. From amongst the rightly guided khalifs, Sayyidina Ali combined flogging with stoning to death in one case. So this is where the problem lies. Amir al-Mu'mineen, in one solitary case, he applied flogging, then stoning. In Sayyid Bukhari, Imam Ahmad's Musnad, Amr Sha'bi relates that a woman named Shuraha confessed being pregnant <coughs> as a result of illicit intercourse. Sayyidina Ali got her flogged on Thursday and stoned her to death on Friday saying, we flogged her according to the Quran and we stoned her according to the Sunnah of Rasulullah. Shaykh Maududi says, there is no other case than this in which both punishments were combined during the rightly guided Khalifat. So now, why have the ulama not looked at this? Because there's another report, and this report seems to reconcile why. In Nasai Abu Dawood, Jabir ibn Abdullah, he said, a man committed zina, and Rasulullah awarded him the punishment of flogging. Afterwards, when it became known he was a married man, he ordered he should be stoned to death. So this is what some scholars look at. Because a man was flogged, but later on it was brought to the attention he was married. So the Prophet stoned him. So if somebody says, was that man flogged and stoned for zina? The answer is yes. But if you say, so then that's the sunnah. You say no. But the Prophet did it. The Prophet did it because the first time he thought he was not married. Then later when he was told he was married, he stoned. So some scholars say this is where the confusion arose amongst the narrators. So that's why the scholars say there is no flogging. Then there's uh, uh, stone. With regards to exile, the authorities, like I mentioned, may use their own discretion. So there's a proof. This is the Hanafis now. The Hanafis say exile can be imprisonment. And you don't need to exile. It's up to the judge. Where's their proof? Sayyidina Umar radiallahu, he exiled Rabi'a ibn Umayyah ibn Khalaf on a charge of drinking. And Rabi'a fled and joined the Romans. Upon this, Umar radiallahu said, in future, I will not exile a man and woman guilty of zina because I fear that there is a risk of mischief in it. This is in Ahkam al-Quran by Imam al-Jassas, volume 3, page 315. So the Hanafi say, Amir al-Mumini, the man was, and he fled because he, he felt he was humiliated. So Amir al-Mumini goes, no, I'm not going to do this now. So if it was a had, Umar had no choice. So, so Imam Abu Hanifa said, the clear fact that he retracted it shows this is up to the judge. So Imam Abu Hanifa, he says, the judge decides about the exile. <clears throat> so these are other things that you needed to know about zina and the unmarried person. But now flogging. So the Quran says in verse 2, flog them. So, are there conditions for flogging? And again, of course they are. Right? So, 
Sheikh Maududi he clarifies upon this. In his Tafsir, volume 8, page 79 to 81 of the English translation, quoting, The first reference to the nature of flogging with stripes is implied in the word Fajlidu in the Quran itself. So in verse 2, Surah Nur, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Azzaniyatu wazani fajlidu. So flogging is mentioned in the Quran. Shaykh Maududi says, Rahmatullah The word jild is derived from jild, which means skin. Accordingly, all lexicographers and commentators have taken it to mean flogging should be carried out in such a way that its effect should be confined to the skin only and should not reach the flesh under it. The flogging that causes deep wounds into the flesh or tears it is against the Quran. So this is the first condition. The word jild means skin. So the flogging has to be only on the surface. If it cuts the skin, you've gone against the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, let me ask you a question. Can you be scarred from flogging? No. Right? You've been watching too many films. So this is the first condition. The second. The whip or the cane used for the purpose of flogging should be medium in all respects. It should neither be thick and hard nor thin and soft. Why? In Imam Malik in his Muwatta, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked for the whip for flogging. But as it had worn out owing to long use, he said, bring the harder one. Then a new whip was brought, which was very hard because of lack of use. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, get me one between the two. Accordingly, a whip was brought, which had been used in riding, and with it, he gave the flogging. A similar hadith has been cited by Abu Uthman and Nahdi about Umr that he always used a medium whip in Ahkam al-Quran, volume 3, page 322. A whip with knots or one having two or three prongs is forbidden. So what's the second condition? It can't be hard, it can't be soft. It must not have knots, it must not have three prongs at the end which cause the tearing of the skin. Third condition, flogging should be of average intensity. Sayyidina Umar who used to instruct the flogger, strike in a way that your armpit should not become visible during flogging. I do not stretch your arm fully to strike with full force. Refer to Ahkam al-Qur'an of Ibn al-Arabi, volume 2, page 84, and Ahkam al-Qur'an of Jassas, volume 3, page 322. All the imams are agreed. So think about that. So if a flogger takes a running leap, where has he got that from? <coughs> Secondly, he can, he's not even allowed to show his armpit. So what's the hardest you can strike if your armpit is glued to your side? It's like you can't put much power in it. All the jurists are agreed. Number four, fourth condition. The strike should not be such as may cause a wound. 
If blood is seen, you've brought the divine command. Number two, sorry, number five. The flogging should not be confined to one and the same place. It should be spread over the whole body. <laughs> so again, you know, I don't know what's happening, right? You know, how many times do you get a cross crossover in the whipping? Where did you get that from? Number six, the face <coughs> and the private parts, and according to the Hanafis, the head should also be spared, but all other parts should get some flogging. Sayyidina Ali radiallahu once said to the flogger, let every part of the body get its due share except the face and the private parts. According to another report, he said, save the head and the private parts only. Refer to Ahkam al-Quran, Imam Jassas, volume 3, page 321. Rasulullah said himself, when any one of you is flogging, he should not strike on the face in Abu Dawood. So this is the sixth condition. Seventh, Whilst flogging, a man should be made to stand and a woman made to sit. In the time of Imam Abu Hanifa, Qadi ibn Abi Layla of Ufa got a woman flogged when she was standing. Imam Abu Hanifa took a strong objection to this. He openly declared it to be wrong. So the woman has to sit. Why? Because it's more dignified when she's flogged sitting. A man stands. Eighth condition, at the time of flogging, the woman should be in her full dress. Her clothes should be rather tied so that no part of her body gets exposed. Her thick clothes will not be worn. So she must be completely covered. So after the flogging, she's still fully covered. No tearing of the clothes. But because the clothing cannot be thick, otherwise she won't feel anything. It has to be slightly less than the thick clothing. But for the man, there is difference of opinion. Number nine. According to some jurists, he will be allowed to remain in his normal clothing. And according to others, the shirt will be take, will not be taken off. Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah radiallahu he sentenced a person guilty of zina to be flogged. The man said, this sinful body should get a severe flogging. He took his shirt off. But Abu Ubaidah said, Do not let him take off his shirt. Referred to Ahkam al-Quran, Imam Jassas, volume 3, page 322. During the Khalifa of Ali, a man was flogged whilst he was wrapped in a sheet of cloth. So, the man, obviously, there's less problems in terms of odor, but even he should be clothed. Number, the tenth condition for flogging. Flogging is prohibited in severe cold and in severe heat. In winter, it should be done when it is warm, in summer when it is cool. Eleventh condition. It is also not permissible to tie down a person at the time of flogging unless he tries to run away. According to Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, it is not permissible in the Islamic community to flog anybody after stripping him naked or after tying him on a tripod. So again, you go, brother, the person gets flogged in Islam, what happens? You tie him up. Where did you get that from? All misconceptions. Why? Because Quran. See you later. See you next Ramadan. See you next Ramadan. 
And then you're telling people about Islam says this. Does it? Which Islam says that? Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, right? Is that your Islam? Number 12. Jurists have permitted that at least 20 stripes may be given daily, but it is better to inflict full at one and the same time. So some ulama, they've all said that give him 20. <laughs> then tomorrow give him another 20. Five days. But they still say it's better at one and the same time. That's a discretion for the judge. 13 condition. Flogging should not be entrusted to uncouth, uncultured executioners. It should be done by men of deep insight who understand how the flogging should be carried out in order to meet the requirements of the Sharia. Hafiz ibn Gaib cites in Zad al-Ma'ad that Rasulullah employed the services of such pious and respectable men as Ali, Zubair, Miqdad, Muhammad ibn Maslama, Asim ibn Thabit, and Dahak ibn Sufyan for this purpose. Well, you want page 44. So, who flogs? Tata sahab. Right? What's the welcome he's on? Mufti sahab. Right? It has to be a person with deep knowledge. So, where's the person? Do you know the conditions of flogging? No. Get lost. Right? Mufti sahab. Do you know the conditions of flogging? No. Get lost. How many people know the conditions of flogging? How can you flog? Who were the ones who flogged in the time of the Prophet? Two of the ten promised paradise and many of the senior sahab. Fourteen condition. If the guilty person is suffering from some disease and there is no hope of his recovery or he is too old, it is enough to strike him once with a hundred twigs. Subhanallah. In order to meet the requirements, during the lifetime of Rasulullah <coughs> an old man who was suffering from disease was found guilty of zina and Rasulullah awarded him the same punishment, a hundred branches, one strike. This is in Nasai, Abu Dawood, Ibn Majah and Ahmad. So two people, one strike is enough with a hundred branches. One is a person who is very ill, there is no hope of his recovery. Or somebody who is old, very old. Right? So, again, one strike. Fifteenth condition. In the case of a pregnant woman, the flogging is postponed till the delivery and the complete discharge of blood after childbirth. But if she is to be stoned to death, the punishment will not be given till the child is weaned. So, if a woman is just pregnant, no flogging. How many months until she gives birth? Okay, nine months later she's given birth. No flogging. She have to. You have to wait until the she's pure. When the when she's pure, now you flog. If she is married and she's committed zina, she is not to be stoned until the child is weaned. The child needs to now you know be weaned. I mentioned the proof. Sixteenth condition. If zina is proved by evidence. The flogging will be initiated by the witnesses. 17. If the punishment is based on confession, the judge initiates 
the flogging. So think about it. If four people witness it, like I mentioned last week, they must have been filming it, right? And that conditions are all there. Who now flogs the witnesses? Do you know how to flog, right? Next minute, no. There's another problem. If it's confession, the judge takes the proceedings. This is to make the witnesses and the judge realize the seriousness of the matter. In the case of Shuraha, when Ali decided to stone her to death, he said, had there been any witnesses to the crime, he should have initiated the stoning. But she is being punished on the basis of confession. I will initiate it myself. According to the Hanafis, Rahimahumullah. This procedure is essential, but according to the Shafi'is, Rahimahumullah, it is not essential. It is, however, preferable according to all jurists. So if this sequence is not met, there's a problem according to the Hanafis. According to the Shafi'is, you did a bad thing, but it's valid. But all of them therefore agree it is preferable. So now, Shaykh Maududi then says this, after giving you the 17 conditions for flogging. After examining the above details of the law of flogging, just consider the audacity of those who hold this punishment to be barbarous. This accusation becomes all the more ridiculous when the same people allow a harsher punishment in their own jails. According to the existing law, this is in the 20th century, mid-20th, not only the court, but an ordinary superintendent of the jail is authorized to award a punishment of 30 stripes to a prisoner for disobedience or insolence. And this flogging is carried out by a specialist who keeps himself ready and fit by regular practice. And the canes are wetted beforehand so that they may cut through the body like a knife. The convict is stripped of his clothes and nothing but a thin cloth wetted with tincture of iodine is left to cover his private pots. Then he is tied to a tripod to prevent him from making any movement at the flogging. And the flogger comes running from a distance and strikes him with full force. Every time the same pot, either buttocks or struck so hard, flesh flies out like minced meat and often the bones become bare. Only it so, sorry, often it so happens that even the strongest man does not stand 30 strikes and becomes unconscious and it takes a long time before his wounds are even healed. Then Shaykh Maududi says, it is an irony that those people who are themselves enforcing this civilized, in inverted commas, punishment in jails today have the cheek to call the punishment of Islam as barbarous. <laughs> then the horrible tortures which are inflicted by their police, not only on proof criminals, but on suspects, especially those suspected of criminal crimes, are well known to everyone. So what's the problem? The problem is you've left the Quran. You've left the Sunnah. You're just looking straight at the translation. You're saying the Quran says, the man and woman guilty of zina flogged them with a hundred stripes. And we, 
even when they say the word flog, they say it with venom. You know, it's flog them, flog them hundred times because this is what your Quran says. And then, oh yes, well, it says it, and you know, it's Quran. Why are you talking like a sheep? Right? He goes, yes, it does say, what's your problem? And then he goes, well, that's, you know, we're now civilized. What happens in your prisons to a disobedient prisoner? Ask them. He goes, well, he's disciplined. How's he disciplined? And then he goes, is it true that they get flogged? He goes, yes. Describe the flogging. And he goes, well, 30 strikes and, you know, we got to set an example to the other prisoners. Go through everything, every command they've breached Islamically. Every command. Then he goes, okay, tell us about your flogging. Here's a seat. Sit down. When you go through it, what's he going to say? He's going to think, that's humane. But what do you think? God's going to give you an inhumane law. And this is when you've gone through all the relevant proofs. This is now you're coming to the flogging. It's virtually impossible to get to that stage. But if you do get to that stage, look at the mercy. Then next minute, he walks away in shame thinking, I was... But forget the non-Muslims. we got to educate ourselves. I'm born Muslim. Did you know this? Go back to the initial reports. What did Sayyidina Umar say? You must learn Surah Nur. He didn't just say parity. You must learn, understand the divine commands. So all of this is essential, even though I'm not actually going through the tafsir of the verse per se. So let's go to the verse now. So verse 2, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? The woman and man guilty of zina or fornication, i.e. zina being married, fornication being unmarried, flog each of them a hundred stripes. Let not compassion move you in their case. In a matter prescribed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the last day, and let a party of the believers witness their punishment. Subhanallah. So after all that, Allah the Almighty still says, look at his mercy, Allahu Akbar, let not compassion move you. Somebody goes, Ya Allah, you've given all the compassion, there's nothing left. He still says, let not compassion move you in their case. In a matter prescribed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the last day, and then another condition, let a party of the believers witness their punishment. So inshallah we will discuss this more in the next sessions. So I'll recite the verse and we'll we pray to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He makes the Quran the Nabi of our hearts. And I pray to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He forgives me for any errors which I may have inadvertently uttered. Subhanallah, bihamdi, subhanallah, bihamdi, subhanallah, bihamdi, 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 bihamdi,